Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of our study this morning is The Fellowship of His Suffering. The Fellowship of His Suffering. And of course, as we said, we can turn to Philippians chapter 3 where we find the title of what we've been talking about over the last three days, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And in Philippians 3, in verse 10, Paul writing says, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We already looked at that I may know him. Yesterday we looked at the power of his resurrection and this morning we want to look at the fellowship of his sufferings. And we want to look a little bit more at that. But uh, I, would, I would like to start with a little story. And uh, this story happened in February of 1555, during the reign of Mary I of England. And it was at that time when a man by the name of Thomas Hawkes, an English Protestant, he was condemned as a heretic. Of course, at that time, anti-Protestant legislation punished anyone who was judged guilty of that crime with execution. And the crime was heresy against the Roman Catholic faith. And so Thomas Hawkes was condemned to be burned at the stake. And though strongly urged to recant, he steadfastly refused to deny his faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he was sent to prison where he remained until June of that year. This was in February the time that was appointed for his public execution. And this was the fate of uh, not only this man, but many, many other people. And so today we want to look at the fellowship of his sufferings. And uh, if I were to ask you the question, how many people here like suffering? No one's gonna put their hand up. Uh, only warped people who have something wrong in their mind, enjoy or like suffering, or like to inflict suffering upon others. That's a sign that there's something wrong with you. But even so, Paul here talks about wanting to know something that most of us shudder when we think about it. Isn't that right? He said, I want to know the power, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and also this thing called the fellowship of his sufferings. But you know what, brothers and sisters, the fellowship of his sufferings comes last. And that's why they are in that order. The fellowship of his sufferings follows knowing him and the power of his resurrection. You see, when you really know the power of his resurrection, then you can be at the place where you can say, yes, and I'm ready to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what paves the way, that's what prepares. But there is a fellowship of his sufferings, make no mistake about it. And uh, the word fellowship means partnership, isn't that right? And that's uh, some, some thoughts I wanna share with you today as far as that's concerned, because we all go through suffering. 
through all kinds of suffering. Uh, but the suffering that Paul talks about here, he calls it the fellowship of his sufferings. And the word fellowship means partnership. In other words, the genuine Christian experience will make us partners with Christ in all things, including suffering. You are a partner with Christ in suffering. And of course, uh, if you are a partner with Christ in suffering, it says the fellowship of not your suffering or my suffering, but the fellowship of whose? His suffering. So the focus, first of all, is directed at Christ. Did Christ suffer? The answer, of course, is yes. You know, Isaiah chapter 53, the prophecy about Christ, refer, uh, it's usually known as the suffering servant. Isn't that right? Let's go to the he uh, book of Hebrews chapter 5. And we will look here at a verse that gives us a bit of an insight as to why Christ suffered or had to suffer. What's the reason behind that? Because... That's one of the biggest questions, you know, suffering. Why does this have to happen? Why does this have to take place? Well, let's look at Christ. It's the fellowship of his sufferings. He suffered. Why did he suffer? Because we are partners with him in his suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Why did Christ suffer? That he might be made what? Perfect. Suffering brings perfection. Suffering brings maturity. Suffering brings refinement. Christ, the Bible here says, was made perfect by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. That's why uh, a little later in the same book, it talks about Christ being the author and finisher of our faith. Christ could not author and finish our faith without suffering. <laughs> suffering was required. And it is impossible for a Christian to obtain salvation and a genuine Christian experience without suffering. Isn't that right? Christ could not obtain salvation for the human race. He could not author and finish our salvation except as he went through a process of suffering. And Paul says we enter into a partnership, into fellowship of his sufferings. Therefore, we cannot have a genuine, mature Christian experience without Suffering. So that's Paul. Was, well, that's what Paul is really hinting at and, and talking about. You see, the Bible does say that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Is that right? The discipline of suffering. Let's go to Philippians 1. The discipline of suffering is not a popular topic that is often talked about because most people do not enjoy or like suffering. Philippians chapter 1. What brought Paul to the point where he says, I want to know that? Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Philippians 1, 29. Paul again, here he writes and he says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. We all believe in Christ, isn't that right? 
That's a given. That's a gift that is given. But that gift that is given, that divine gift that is given, is not only to believe on him, but also something else. To suffer for his sake. According to Paul here, he says this was given to us. Isn't that right? We don't generally think of suffering that way, but if you remember the reason and what suffering accomplished in Christ, and you understand why, it is given to us not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. Paul wanted to know both those things. We don't generally think of suffering as a gift, do we? We think of suffering as a curse. Ken yesterday was talking about blessings and cursings. And many times what we perceive of the thing, if we perceive it as a curse, many times it ends up being a curse. And if we perceive something as a blessing, many times it ends up being a blessing. Our perception of things can determine how we end up on the other side of the experience. And so here the scripture makes it very clear. God does not want Christians, his, his children, to be disillusioned. He says, listen, there is going to be suffering. As a matter of fact, this suffering is given to you. In the same way that believing in Christ is given, so also you are given to suffer for his sake. Now, God is not this, this, uh, uh, the one who is, God does not enjoy to watch suffering of his children. That's not the reason, the purpose and the reason. And we can see that example clearly in the life of Christ. There was nothing that happened to Christ except it had a purpose. And its purpose was to accomplish a blessing. In the same way as Christians, there is this discipline of suffering. And the purpose of this suffering is to accomplish a blessing. Now, I want us to uh, just quickly here, when we talk about suffering, I want to distinguish between Christian biblical suffering and general human suffering. There's two different things. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because when we start talking about suffering, uh, you know, sometimes we attribute uh, a lot of experiences that we go through that we find hard trying. Uh, we, we say, well, that's suffering. I'm suffering, you know, and, and we feel that this is the biblical suffering that we're talking about here. There is a distinction. And I want us to look at that in 1 Peter chapter 2, reading for, uh, from verse 19. 1 Peter 2, 19. He says, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, wrongfully. Okay? So he says there is enduring grief because of your conscience toward God. Suffering in what way? Wrongfully. So if there is wrongful suffering, there is also rightful suffering. And Peter here is referring to the one and not the other. Verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. One kind of suffering is not acceptable with God, another is. There is a suffering, brothers and sisters, that results from our own folly, from our own faults, from our own poor decisions. This is not the biblical suffering he's talking about. You know, you forget to put uh, gas in the car and, and you run out of fuel on, along the way and you feel like you're in this great trial and you say, well, I'm a Christian. 
I endure suffering. That, that's, that is not Christian suffering. Okay, that's an example. You, you with me? Because many times as Christians, we, we are quick to put ourselves in the position of martyrs. If anything happens to us, oh, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm a Christian, I'm suffering. Many times, the suffering that we experience is a, is a result of our own folly. Poor decisions that we make that bring consequences. And then we blame God for these consequences. And we say, well, God must be giving me a trial to teach me a lesson. Peter is making a distinction here and just want us to keep that dis distinction in mind. He says at the end there, if ye do well and suffer for it. In other words, there is no reason. There is no apparent logical reason for the consequence that you have. You've done everything good and right and you suffer for that, he says, and you take it patiently. Not grudgingly, grumblingly, and complainingly, but patiently. This is acceptable with God. Let's go to chapter 4. Same book. Just over a couple of pages. Chapter 4. We're just looking at the two kinds of suffering here. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. These things bring suffering. Start talking about your neighbor, your brother and sister in church, and someone's talking about you. And then you feel, well, you know, I'm suffering. These people are giving me a hard time. But many times, the reason might be with you. Peter is saying here, don't, let, don't, don't bring about suffering as a result of that. Your own poor decisions. Verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this behalf. So this is the point really here. There is Christian suffering and there is other suffering. Obviously, because we live in a world of sin, there is a lot of suffering. There, is a lot, there are a lot of problems. And our inability to make right choices sometimes in life, we make some choices that are wrong. It brings about poor consequences. But Paul, uh, Peter here is saying, listen, there is there's Christian suffering. That's what we're talking about. And this is what Paul wanted to experience. He didn't want to experience the suffering of making poor choices and making life harder for you. So, you, didn't, you know, it didn't work or you don't have enough money and the bill comes and you start suffering. Yes, this is not Christian suffering as such. You with me? Christian suffering is what results directly from you being a Christian. And it's because of your faith. Now, I want to distinguish that a little bit more here because we, we have this martyr syndrome. It is so common today that, that we just like to, to, to think all these things are happening to us, you know, from God. The Pharisaic mindset that we talked about two days ago, the legalistic Pharisaic mindset, is many times quick to feel that they are suffering for God's cause. If anything happens to them. You know, the Pharisees felt that way when Christ rebuked them. When Christ preached straight messages, when Christ spoke parables about them, they felt they were uh, suffering. And the suffering there, that's, that's the important aspect to distinguish, is when self is offended, wounded, or crossed. Many times we suffer. That's suffer of, you know, your pride suffers. You know, when, when, when you're humiliated or when somebody says something against you, your pride suffers. This is not necessarily what we're talking about. The true Christian suffering has nothing to do with self. It's not because self is offended, self is wounded, or self is hurt. True Christian suffering is the fellowship of his suffering. 
There is no self-motivation there. There is no self that has taken offense there. And that's where I'm saying with the, with the Pharisaic mindset, much of the suffering that's, that they uh, attribute to themselves is really self being offended. And it's presented to people as a great grievance. And many people say, you know, I preach the truth, brother, and all these people pick on me. I am suffering for Christ's sake. This is, this is, this is pride. Because that happens. That's common to this. So we need to distinguish that. I just wanted to make that uh, clear. Uh, that when self is suffering, or when suffering as a Christian, that's the fellowship of his sufferings. Suffering for Christ's sake, not our own sake, not because of our own misconduct or our own misbehavior. Suffering for Christ's sake is that suffering that we receive, suffering that's inflicted upon us when we do not deserve it, when we are innocent, when we have done that which is right in God's eyes, not in our own eyes, in God's eyes, and we suffer for it. We have trouble for it. It's for His sake. There are many sources of suffering. I'll just mention a few here. There are lots of sources of suffering. As a Christian, sufferings of temptation. Christ endured sufferings of temptation. Isn't that right? Sufferings of trials, of persecution, family estrangement because of you becoming a Sabbath keeper or an Adventist or whatever it might be. You, you make a decision for Christ and something happens to you that is totally out of your control. You did not ask for and it brings suffering. It brings trial. Self is not offended. They are offended at what you, the decision you made for Christ. It's really Christ and his fellowship and his fellowship with his suffering that you're really starting to experience in circumstances like that. False accusations, neglect. Neglect causes a lot of suffering among believers. And uh, perhaps the closest and hardest is the suffering that's inflicted upon you by those who are your brothers and sisters in the faith. Isn't that right? You know, a true Christian will uh, do his utmost not to inflict suffering on anyone. And yet there are so many professed Christians who seem to take strange delight in inflicting suffering upon others by tarnishing their reputation, by attacking them, by doing all manner of evil, thinking that they are doing God service. We've talked about that. And so the aspect of suffering many times is misunderstood today. And a lot of suffering that is not, has nothing to do with the fellowship of Christ's suffering goes around among God's people. We need to be uh, familiar with the distinction between the two. But when all these things are understood and realized, and we go through a genuine experience of Christian suffering for his sake. One of the biggest problems, perhaps the most challenging problem when we go through an experience like that is this three letter word. Why? Isn't that right? We go through an experience and we've done everything right. And we say, Lord, why is this happening to me? And what makes the suffering so intense and so hard many times is not the suffering in and of itself, but it's our inability to understand why is this happening to us? And our inability to understand asking why, you find that the devil is right there with all his doubts and all his questionings and you start to think, oh, and doubt starts to come in. Yeah. 
Okay, and this is very, very uh, common. This is something that, uh, if I don't have to ask for a show of hands, if you've experienced that, we all go through that. And that is why the Bible makes it very clear. God gives us early warning, says, listen, there's going to be suffering. Expect suffering. Don't be surprised at these things. The why is a very, very uh, troubling aspect many times. And you know what? There are many times when the why does not have a good answer as far as we can see. And the problem that we find with that is, is we're left wondering and doubts start coming in. Isn't that right? You say, but well, maybe I did this wrong or maybe I did that wrong or maybe God's not happy with me because if, if, if everything's good, why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why, why, why? It's actually because of this question that many people lose their faith altogether. And there are many people in the world who see a lot of the suffering and trouble that say, well, I don't want anything to do with God because I don't understand the why. Yeah. This is not just for unbelievers. There are believers in the church. The why troubles them. And by dwelling on that and not finding the answer many times, it ends up in being a cause for their departure. I want to share with you a little promise here, a little statement that I found very, very comforting. And you know, that's why the Lord tells us, expect suffering, expect a choppy ride. Don't be surprised when the choppy ride takes place. It's to encourage our faith, not to diminish it. And to understand the why, it might not all happen now and here. But one day we will understand. This is a promise I want to share. It's a statement and this is what it says. All the perplexities of life's experience will then be made plain. This is in the kingdom one day in heaven. It says, there Jesus will lead us beside the living stream of flow, uh, flowing from the throne of God. And he will explain to us the dark providences through which on this earth he brought us in order to perfect our character. You know, something I look forward to because there are experiences that I have gone through that I've been left with a big why. And, you know, I look forward to that. I just picture that Jesus one day will take us by the hand and he'll take us for a walk along the river of life. And he will talk to us and he will explain to us some of these whys that we could not figure out here and now. And here's the challenge, brothers and sisters. Can we trust him now, even though we don't have the answer? And one day he will give us the answer. Can we trust him now? and hold on by faith through that experience. That's the challenge. And it's promises like this. This is not the only one, there are many others. And the scripture is full of them. But uh, it's these things that give us hope to endure, Amen. to overcome. That's why in First Peter, we're still in First Peter 4. Look at verse 12. This is why God gives us time and again this uh, warning. So it doesn't surprise us. Chapter, 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And yet when that happens, we think, this is a strange thing that's happening to me. So that's giving us pre-warning. He says, I know what's going to happen. This is what you're going to think. I'm telling you beforehand. I know what I'm doing. If you are in my hands, don't worry. If you're in my hand and you're following me and you're doing that which I am pleased with, that my life is in you. And if anything happens to you as a result, don't worry. You might not understand it all right now. Don't worry. 
Don't lose hope. As a matter of fact, this warning here is given us to encourage our faith. In other words, God has foreseen our experience and he says, I saw that already. I know what it'll be like. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry. That's an encouragement to our faith. That's its purpose. That's its design. Notice verse 13. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of whose sufferings? Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Notice who is evil spoken of. They're speaking evil of Christ. That's the true Christian suffering. It's the fellowship of his suffering. It's not all about you. You just happen to experience and get an insight into the fellowship of his sufferings. You actually get to know what it was like in part for Christ to experience suffering and be perfected. You see, the issue when we have suffering, we have to remember, it's not about you if you have given your life to Christ. If it's Christ living in you, then it's not really you who is suffering. It is the fellowship of his suffering. You with me? It puts a different perspective on when we go through these experiences. Because when we go through these experiences, somehow we lose sight of Christ and it's all about me and poor me and what's happening to me. And why is this being inflicted upon me? And our faith starts seeping out of all these holes that we've just poked in our minds. Isn't that right? That's a real thing. It's a very, very real thing. And it's sad because there are so many people, so many Christians who have wrecked their faith because they did not perhaps realize the fellowship of his sufferings. Their eyes turned upon themselves. And self rose up and said, how can this be? I've done all this for God and I get this? Forget it. It's the fellowship of his sufferings. That's where Job got to the point where he said what? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Trust, faith in the suffering. And you know what the suffering does to your faith? It actually sharpens it and strengthens it. Or it destroys it. Depends on how you take in the experience. It can be the one or the other. And uh, in order for us to, to see it in perspective, let's quickly go to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're talking about the discipline of suffering. And I, like I said, this is not a popular topic to talk about. You know? We, we, we generally think, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to. We generally think, you know, become a Christian. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you that is in the world. It's smooth sailing. We've got the big winner on our side. Everything will be okay. But there is a need for suffering. And the suffering, keep in mind, as we shall see in a minute, is never needless when it comes to Christian suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, looking at things in perspective, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction. Have you had an 
experience of suffering that is so intense, that is so hard, that you say, come on, Paul, yours might have been a light affliction, but not mine. Mine was hard and searing and painful and horrible. You have no idea. Paul says, listen, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us, what? A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, the proportion is not one to one, right? That much suffering, that much glory. It's not. A little suffering, a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. But let's go to chapter 11. Same book, just a little bit in that chapter. In order for us to see things in perspective, let's look at chapter 11. What does Paul refer to when he talks about light affliction? Chapter 11, verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from verse 23. Here is a list of some of the things that Paul experienced. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was, stone, was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwrecks. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. How many of us have a list of suffering like that? Paul said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Remember to... Look at your experience, my experience, when we go through suffering, in perspective. In perspective. Many times we don't go through some of these things. Finally, Paul was killed in Rome. He died a martyr. Isn't that right? And he, he would have considered that a light affliction as well. You realize that? The ultimate suffering really is the loss of life. That's, that's the ultimate suffering. That's just the, the, the grand finale. Uh, but Paul realized that there was a greater weight of glory. So let's keep our suffering and the measurement of our suffering in perspective. Many times we are uh, experts at magnifying our sufferings. Well, someone asked me, but my, my suffering is the worst. Now, it, it might be very difficult and trying and hard for you, but the, just the point is keep it in perspective. Yeah. Remember that God is accomplishing a purpose. Uh, as far as it being Christian suffering. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Why suffering? See, suffering actually functions as a sign. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at verse 17. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. He says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ... If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There's a condition here. If you want to be glorified with Christ, there is an if. What's the if? If we suffer. How? With 
Him. If we suffer, you know, talk about being co-heirs, being children of God, children of the King, being joint heirs with Christ. And then Paul says here, if we suffer with, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. That's a need. You know, actually our uh, enjoyment of the glory of heaven many times is influenced by the suffering we experience in this world. You know, you realize that those who uh, lose something, they actually appreciate it more, more than those who don't. Many times that's what suffering accomplishes. It opens our eyes to something that we have that we never truly appreciated. You know, there's an interesting experience when, when Mrs. White had her vision about heaven. And, you know, some of these brethren, uh, she says, you remember, I think it's in early writings. She says they came and asked about the trials and sufferings that they went through in the last days. And then I, I really like the description there. It says we sat and we tried to think of the hardest trying experience. And we just could not think of it in light of the glory that was there. And it says, we said, heaven is cheap enough. That's the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, God is telling us what's going to happen here and what's going to happen here. And he says, what's happening here in the suffering is not the end of the story. There is a great and big and eternal and exceeding weight of glory. And if you get stuck in this sometimes and it's all dark and it's all black all around you and you can't see beyond the immediate front of you, that's why we have a record of this. And we can see that by faith because it's written here. We might, we might not feel it. We might not, uh, you know, sense it when we're going through a hard experience. And many times it's very difficult. Many times it's all black all around. You don't know which way to turn. That's what happened with Christ as well. And Timothy says the same thing. We don't have to, we don't have to turn there. It says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. You want to reign with Christ? Yeah. Here's the condition if we suffer with Him. Now, this is not self-inflicted suffering. This is not the suffering they say, well, I have to suffer as a Christian. Well, I'm going to go and get some people upset and they'll persecute me and I'm suffering now. You know, that's what a lot of people do. Not directly. They will go and they will be obnoxious people sharing the truth. And because they are so obnoxious, they will annoy and upset people and they will get the reaction that they deserve. And then they will say, I am suffering as a Christian for the truth's sake. Wake up. This is not Christian suffering. This is self-inflicted suffering. You, really, you know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't be one of these people. You know, sometimes in, in, my, in my younger years, I'm not so old, but anyway, in my younger years, I can understand that. You know, when you're all happy and excited, you've got the truth, and you, you start whacking people left, right, and center. And then when these people start, you know, reacting to what you're doing in, in perhaps a negative way, and that doesn't justify their reaction, then you feel all the more justified. This is martyr syndrome. Self-made self martyr syndrome. Be careful of that. That is a plague among believers. And we justify it because we go here to the Bible and say, suffering, oh yes, I have suffering. Yes, this happened to me. Fellowship of his suffering, and therefore I will have more glory. No, 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 no. Don't deceive yourself. It's the fellowship of his suffering, not yours. If we suffer with him, and if we suffer with him, that means he is the one who is suffering with us and in us, actually. So no suffering, no glory. Isn't that right? Heaven has a, a very high regard for the suffering ones. And of course, ultimately, as I said, the, the final 
greatest uh, manifestation of suffering is when you seal your life with blood, when you seal your faith with blood, when your life is extinguished. And the Bible says, precious is the sight, uh, in the sight of the Lord is the death of what? His saints, isn't that right? Amen. That's precious in the sight of the Lord. You know, we talk about these martyrs, these people that were burned at the stake. And, and many times, uh, sometimes people wonder, say, you know, how could the Lord let these things happen? The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Heaven has a very high regard for the suffering children of Jesus on this earth. A very high regard. And there is a special honor, actually, for those who are martyred for their faith. You know, in that same vision, I think, where Ellen White uh, uh, was, was taken to heaven, and she was, she was walking with Christ, and then she said she saw a group of people who had the white robes on, and their white robes were really you know, bright, you know, and around the hem of the robes or the garment, there was a border of red. Isn't that right? You remember that? And she asked Christ, said, what's this? These seem to be a special group here. They have this border of red. And he told her these were martyrs. These were ones who endured great suffering for me on earth. Heaven has a very high regard for the children of God when they go through suffering. God feels every pang of suffering that we go through as Christians. And you know, not even as Christians alone. But it's the Christian biblical suffering that brings about the result of being made mature, perfected, and growing in grace. So that's something to keep in mind. The purpose of it. Let's, uh, uh, time is running. Let's quickly, let's go to Isaiah 48. We're almost there. Isaiah 48. I just want to look at a few thoughts here. <coughs> let's look at the purpose. Isaiah 48. These three verses are linked together. Isaiah chapter 48. And we will look at verse 10. Notice what God says here. Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined thee. But not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. The purpose of suffering is what? Refining. There are things about us that we do not even know. That nothing will reveal except when you turn up the heat. And you turn up the heat in the furnace of affliction. Suffering. Suffering brings about refinement. Keep that thought in mind. Let's go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs chapter 17. God says, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. What is God really trying to do? Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. The verse we just read in Isaiah, God says, I've refined you not with silver. I've chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Proverbs 17, 3 says, The fining pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. So the fining pot is for silver. God says, I have not refined you with silver. I'm actually choosing you in the furnace of affliction. And then it says here, the furnace is for what? It's for gold. So what's God trying to accomplish when he puts us through this furnace of affliction? He's trying to produce gold. Let's go to the final verse in this trio of verses. Isaiah 13. Isaiah chapter 13. Back in Isaiah. Notice here what God is seeking to accomplish. Isaiah chapter 13. 
12. This is a beautiful, beautiful promise. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 12. Here's what God says. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. That's the process. God says, I've chosen you in the furnace of affliction. The furnace is for gold. And I am in the business of making you and transforming you into not just gold, better than fine gold, more precious than fine gold, even the golden wedge of Ophir. God wants to have us as shining jewels in his crown of salvation. And in order to accomplish that, there needs to be a little bit of heat, a little bit of Christian suffering. And I say a little bit because I'm thinking of the great weight of glory. It's a little bit in that perspective. And I, I'm not trying to downplay whatever difficulty and trial you and I might be going through. I just want to put it in perspective. Because brothers and sisters, when we say our problem as such a surmounting huge mountain, and that's all we see, then our vision does not take in the power and greatness of God. All we see is the bigness. That's not a word, is it? <laughs> all we see is, the, but maybe remember it that way. All we see is how big the problem is. That's all we see. And so our vision does not take in anything else and doubts start assailing. So rather than looking at the size of your problem, the size of your suffering, look at the size of your God and my God. And then you will see in perspective. That's the challenge that we have. And I know this, has a, this is trying. That's why God encourages, encourages us with all these things. Refinement, maturity, growth, and glory are the result of the furnace of affliction. So trust in Him as Job trusted. Paul says in Hebrews, you have not yet resisted unto blood. Isn't that right? You have not yet. We were all alive here today. We're happy to be alive. We have not yet resisted unto blood. We're not scheduled to be burned at the stake in one week. Yeah, not that we know of. <laughs> not yet anyway. But you know what I mean? You know, our we need to look at things in perspective. That's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, Christ endured so great suffering. You know, he, he died on the cross. You are, you are to look to him. He did not, uh, you did not yet resist unto blood like him. And some of us might come to that. We're not there yet. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, God is, is preparing us. Uh, I, I, really, uh, I really think that uh, it's quite possible that some of us sitting here in this room today might be uh, ones who might experience a martyr's faith because we're living in the last days. We might, some of us might be martyrs. You know, how will God prepare us for that? You know, preparation for some of these martyrs, you read some of the stories of these martyrs, it's incredible. And I think, uh, I think Ken was mentioning yesterday, you know, they'd go to the stake where they're going to be burned and they, they'd embrace it or they'd kiss it or they'd stand preaching to the people as the flames were eating them up. You know, that experience does not come about overnight. <laughs> that experience comes about day in and day out by living the life of Christ, allowing Christ to live in you, then Christ can do through you wonders when suffering is inflicted upon you. Don't die in vain. Don't die in vain. That's true. Let's look at a key here. Let's go to Hebrews 12. We're looking at that 
We're almost, almost there. Hebrews chapter 12. The key to enduring. The key to enduring suffering. We looked at that a little bit, but just look at, uh, look at it a little bit more in detail. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2. It says here, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What enabled Christ to endure the suffering of the cross? The joy that was set before him. Looking beyond, even though he did not even feel it at the time. You know, in Gethsemane, we're told he, uh, how he felt. He, he did not feel like going through that. It was so hard, so trying. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then something happened. And then it says here, the joy that was set before him enabled him to endure the cross and despise his shame and finally receive their blessing. There is a joy that is set before us. What was the joy that, is set, that was set before Christ? What was that joy that enabled him to endure the cross? We were that joy, isn't that right? That they will be saved. If I go through this, they will be saved. What's the joy that is set before us? We will be saved, others will be saved. What about Christ? And his effort and his work on our behalf is not in vain. You know, the Bible says he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. In other words, when he sees the travail of his soul has gone in vain, you think he's satisfied? You think Christ is happy when people are lost? You think Christ is happy when people go through suffering and they lose their faith? You see, the joy that is set before him is directly linked with our joy and what is set before us. And particularly for the last generation, particularly for the last group of people, it is the joy of knowing that through their experience and through the success of their experience, the whole problem of sin will be finished and no more. And all the redeemed of all the ages will be redeemed from the grave, uh, will be harvested from the graves. The joy that is set before him. Of course, we're given the promise, you know, there is no temptation that will take us, that will come upon us that is greater than we can bear. Isn't that right? God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Amen. That's the encouragement that the promises in Scripture is given to encourage us when we go through suffering. And the, you know, the amazing thing is this. We go through suffering and somehow all these verses evaporate from our memory. Isn't that right? They go strangely missing. We don't see any of that. And sometimes it might take a brother a message or, or somehow, some way, God reminds us, says, listen, you need to look up. You're, you're, you're in this tunnel that is dark. You can't see the way out. I have given you the way out. There is a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Brothers and sisters, there is a great time of trouble coming. And that great time of trouble is going to be a lot of suffering for God's people. God is educating us and preparing us. Some of us sitting right here might be the very ones who will go through that time of trouble. And many times the experiences that we go through that we don't understand right now might be the very preparation that we need to stand in the time of trouble and greater suffering. You realize that? There is a discipline of suffering. I just want us to remember, if, if, if you forget everything I said today, there's one thing I want you to remember. 
The Bible talks about suffering as the fellowship of his sufferings. You do not experience Christian suffering on your own. That, of all things, is a most encouraging thought. Christ suffers with us. And if Christ suffers with us, that gives us hope. It's not on my own anymore. No, it's not like nobody understands. Nobody cares. Nobody calls. Nobody gives a second thought about poor old me. It's not like that anymore. Christ and his sufferings and his partnership as we are partners with him means he suffers with us as we with him. Some people I know when we talk about the time of trouble that's coming, they're almost ready to faint just thinking about the time of trouble. You know, they, they are so worried and troubled about the time of trouble and so concerned. And you read statements, they say, you know, the time of trouble that's coming, even in your wildest imagination, no matter how bad you might conjure up the situation in your head, it's going to be worse. And you know, some people can't handle that. Some people say, you know, I, I, and I've heard that expressed by a number of people say, uh, the Lord is going to just have to lay me in the grave because I can't, ha I, I don't think I can go through that time of trouble. Uh, and and we, we worry and we fret and we are concerned. You know what is the root of that thinking many times? Is we're looking at that great time of trouble and we're thinking, poor old me, I don't think I can handle that. As if we're going to go through that time of trouble alone. You know, the Hebrew boys, when they went through the fire, they did not go alone. We will not go through that time of trouble alone. That time of trouble will be the greatest, ultimate partnership and partaking of the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul said, I want to know that. I don't want to just know him. I don't just want to know the power of his resurrection. I also want to know and experience the fellowship of his suffering. Amen. But if we understand the power of his resurrection, if we understand what he has accomplished and conquered, and that the kingdom of Satan, no matter how much suffering it has, trying to throw at us, if we remember Christ through the power of his resurrection has conquered all that, then we can actually embrace the fellowship of his sufferings, not turn and run away. You understand what I mean? There is a discipline. God told us this. He tells us to expect this. And we are to actually look forward to the fellowship of his sufferings. Our attitude towards suffering will determine which outcome we have. I just want to mention something here in closing. We'll close with the rest of the story that we started. But I want us to think on this. You know, watching 9-11 when it happened, what, 10, 11 years ago, however long it was, it was a very horrifying experience. Anyone watched it while it happened live? I remember I, I was, I was, we were in Australia and it was very early in the morning. Uh, no, it was late at night. It was early in the morning here. It was late at night. I was watching TV and, and everything got interrupted, you know, breaking news. And, uh, and I remember I, I watched all that, but the, the, the one or the few scenes that really got me, that made me turn the TV off after watching for quite a while, is at that point when I saw people deciding to jump rather than stay in the, in the floor or in the building and burn. And you know, uh, that, that, just, that just made me, you know, I, I didn't feel well after that. It was really, really impacting and, and I quickly turned the TV off. But I thought about that ever since then. Uh, that, that scene has come in my mind a number of times and I thought about that. And this is what I thought. What would I have done if I was faced with that decision? You know, I, I don't know the answer. I can't stand here and presume to say I, I know what the answer is. And, and I'm not saying some people did one thing right or one thing wrong. These poor people, only God knows what it was like for them. But here's the thing. Something in the human 
psyche knows that I would rather jump to my death than to be burned alive. Isn't that right? There's something about being burned alive that just is so repulsive to the human. It's, it's a really, really bad way to go. Isn't that right? That one would rather endure the, the other choice. As, and that's, that's almost just as horrible. They, you know, they both ended the same result. But the process of it. You see, brothers and sisters, God says, amazingly enough, I've chosen you, my people, in the furnace of affliction, in the fire. He uses that language. He uses that description. He uses that terminology. That picture of fire. And, and the amazing and comforting thing is this. Only a Christian can go through the fire. Only can Christian, only a Christian can stand and face a fire, literally, and not be terrified. It's amazing. We have examples of that in the scriptures. We have examples that, of that in history. I just want to, I want to think on that. I just want you to ponder on that. And uh, I want to finish reading what we started reading, and we'll close with that. Returning to our story, a little before the death of Mr. Thomas Hawkes, while he was still in jail, his friends were terrified by the sharpness of his punishment and what he was going to suffer. They went to visit him in jail. And they privately desired that in the midst of the flames, he should show them some token whether the pains of burning were so great that a man might not collectively endure it. You with me? They said, well, we need some kind of a sign here. They, they had a plan. This he promised to do. And it was agreed that if the rage of the pain might be suffered, then he should lift up his hands above his head toward heaven before he gave up the ghost. And so, when the day of execution arrived, Mr. Hawkes was led away to the place appointed for slaughter. And being come to the stake, he mildly and patiently prepared himself for the fire, having a strong chain cast about his middle with a multitude of people on every side compassing him about, unto whom after he had spoken many things and poured out his soul unto God in prayer, the fire was kindled. When he had continued long in it, and his speech was taken away by violence of the flame, and his skin was drawn together and his fingers consumed with fire, so that it was thought that he was gone, suddenly and contrary to all expectation, this good man, being mindful of his promise, reached up his hands burning in flames over his head to the living God, and with great rejoicing as it seemed, struck or clapped them three times together. <laughs> A great shout followed this wonderful circumstance, and then this blessed martyr of Christ, sinking down in the fire, gave up his spirit and died. You know, I read that and I just could not help but have emotion well up in me. Only God can do that. Through the most extreme, excruciating fire and suffering and burning, God gave that man the ability to do that. Uh, this is, of course, recorded in the, in the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, that story just stuck in my mind. And I hope it sticks in your mind when you go through an experience of trial and suffering that you can lift up your hands to the God of heaven and say, this fire is not greater than my God. My God can give me strength to overcome and endure whatever suffering it might be. Let us endure hardness, brothers and sisters, as good soldiers 
of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's my prayer. Let's pray together as we close. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.